0: Thanks, Kevin. Good morning, everybody. My name for today is Rebecca's dad, is what I'll go by for today. We had a very, very fun day yesterday celebrating with them. Thanks for celebrating with us this morning. Uh, Pretty cool to be linked with the Phillips family. As far as I'm concerned, this is a good thing, and uh, we're looking forward to the year ahead. I will say, though, as Kevin introduced that, uh, Lauren turned around and said to Leanne, you look way too young to have an engaged daughter. I agree. She said nothing to me, though. I did make <laughs> note of that, but we'll figure it out. We are in the middle of a series, actually part eight this morning, of a series on living extraordinary lives by imitating the life and the love of Jesus through the power of his spirit. This is not a new thought. Many of you growing up may have read a book written 120 years ago by Charles Sheldon in his steps. Out of it came the whole, what would Jesus do, right? The movement of what if we lived our lives asking the question, what would Jesus do? A whole bracelet industry arose out of it. And this is kind of at the heart of what this series is. So way back in week two, Kevin said he wanted this to be about us learning to be apprentices of Jesus that the goal for this series is beyond learning about how Jesus loved but about putting it into practice. And last week Jim talked to us about being like Jesus. In order to be like Jesus we have to see people the way Jesus sees them. We need to get new eyes and a new heart through the Holy Spirit. We spent time listening at the end asking God to reveal to us who do I need to see differently. So today We want to learn about loving like jesus a lot by the the spirit empowering us to serve the way jesus did and so last week and this week and actually next week are really going to link together so last week jesus spoke it was about seeing and how that leads to compassion which elizabeth is going to be preaching on next week and kind of in the middle here compassion leads us to serve well what perfect timing is we also will be remembering today those who have served our country so sacrificially so as i was preparing for this morning i began to ask myself the question why don't i serve well like jesus did at times and why don't you serve at times like jesus did and the first obstacle that came to mind was busyness if we're too busy serving others either tends to get squeezed out or it becomes it feels like an unwanted interruption in our life so here's the example that came to mind. I'm actually gonna start this morning with three stories. So this first one that God brought to mind for me about, about how busyness tends to squeeze out service happened on Oct- October the 16th, 1998. It was a Friday night, 21 years ago. I was youth pastor at the time up at Uxbridge Baptist Church. It was the fall, it was hay night, hay ride night at an Uxbridge farm. So our theme for that month was compassion, and after the hayride, I was going to be speaking around the campfire on the theme of service and compassion. And our student leaders, this was Friday, they were two days away from putting on an entire Sunday night event based on the Good Samaritan story. So we had 12 vehicles that were ready to go to head out from the church to this farm, all driven by adults and young adult leaders, wonderful, caring, compassionate, dear friends of mine. Recently, there'd been some talk in the town and in the group. They'd opened up kind of a new road that people were arguing whether it was a shortcut to be able to cut cut across town. So whether it would serve that night as well as a shortcut for getting from the church to getting to the farm. And that shortcut gave me an idea. Now, this was before cell phones were common. It was certainly before Google Maps. And I can feel the eye rolling of all of you born in the 90s. Yeah, before Google Maps, we get it. But what we had to do back then, if we wanted to get somewhere, was look at a map that was actually printed on something called paper. And we, I had photocopied these maps to be able to hand out, to be able to get people across town. And what we were going to do is to head on one of these routes. So Google Maps today would have easily solved the shortcut question. But across the top there, that says a nine minute route heading through town and turn right and then head south. The church is top left, the farm is bottom right. The middle one, oh perfect Dean, awesome. The middle one was a 10 minute one that kind of took a shortcut a little bit along the way, and the bottom one was the one that people have been talking about. Kind of dirt road, off the the main road a little bit, but that they thought they could uh, get there quicker if they took that one. So the truth is, we're gonna send people out. I told everyone you gotta stick with the speed limit. Right? Some, so the leaders at the church were glad with that. Got to stick with a speed limit. We were going to send out four waves of three vehicles, each taking one of the shortcuts, and they would go five minutes apart. We'd synchronize watches, because there wasn't a smartphone linked to world GPS's. So we'd synchronize on our watches the exact time so that I would send people out, and then I had someone at the other end at the farm, and they would determine the exact time. We would average it out over these four vehicles and be able to answer once and for all whether or not this shortcut was a shortcut. Now, the truth is, I didn't care at all about the shortcut. What I cared about was trying to find a way to test the servant heart of our group. So I called in three external friends and asked if they would arrange their vehicles broken down on each of these roads, at the side of the road with the hood up and the vehicle there, not to try to wave people down. Just get to the side of the road, stay with your vehicle, and have the hood up. So any guesses about how we did? 0 for, O for 12, 12 vehicles going out, all of them with the priority, because they'd been put on a timeline, they had a place to get to. And they wanted to prove which one was the fastest route. 12 vehicles, none of which are going to speed limit, blowing past these stranded vehicles on the side of the road, on their way to an evening about compassion, and getting ready to put on an event based on the Good Samaritan story. (laughs) 0 for 12. The campfire was a great, it was a great campfire, as you can imagine, very interesting. And I had some explaining to do to my three friends, wondering what the heck kind of group was I running. (laughs) at this Baptist church in town. That was the first story that God brought to mind as a reminder to me, the truth is when we get busy, we often lose the capacity to either see opportunities to serve or to be moved towards it or to actually be willing to engage in it. Busyness often squeezes that out. So we know that that's a reality. We've all faced that. We can laugh about it. We've all faced that. Times where we've been too busy to serve well. Volunteerism is on the decline. Recent StatsCan studies showed a 3% drop over a three-year span, and 57% of Canadians report a lack of time as a primary obstacle for them serving as volunteers. So busyness, we know it can interfere either with structured or with spontaneous service opportunities, but it's not a showstopper. And before we dive into this passage that was read, the John 13 foot washing passage, for some deeper answers, I want to share two more vivid stories that God brought to mind to me as proof that some people have discovered the secret that even amongst very full lives, they can serve well. And the first story for me, it happened back in February of 2013. I had the opportunity with two other friends to head south with Tim McCoy. Now, Tim, some of you have got to know here, amazing guy, this is Brooke Carroll's father-in-law. Okay, so uh, Brooke married Nathan, Nathan was Tim's son, is Tim's son. (laughs) So we were heading to Atlanta to get a behind-the-scenes leadership tour at the original Chick-fil-A restaurant, at one of their brand new stores, and then at their headquarters, including a a meeting with our little group with the COO of Chick-fil-A. Now this company, you, you may know some things about them, but they're noted for being founded on Christian principles. They're still closed on Sundays. Imagine that, fast food restaurant closed on Sundays. They're known for that. They're known for leadership development and off the charts customer service. When fast food chains in the US are surveyed, the the difference between Chick-fil-A and number two is extraordinary. Their customer service is based on the biblical value of second mile service. They name it that. It's, It's part, you think of the story where Jesus said, if someone asks you to do this, go beyond, do even more. That is one of the values of their organization. So we sat in the cafeteria having lunch and discussed how we'd been blown away that morning through meeting a brand new young cashier and several store staff. And then at the headquarters, we met a communications manager. And the second-mile service had been on display all day, including as soon as we were done eating, a man in a shirt and tie came by grabbed our trays, grabbed our trash while while we were talking, and he he put it away in the trash for us, and and then he left the room. So we had one more brief afternoon appointment with their COO at 1 PM that we were all looking forward to until the door opened and we were ushered into his office about an hour later after lunch. We were introduced to Dan Cathy. This is his picture here. COO of Chick-fil-A fastest-growing restaurant chain in the U.S., son of the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A. Soon to become the third largest (coughs) fast food chain in the U.S., over 2,300 restaurants, over $10.5 billion a year in revenue. Dan was soon to be named the CEO, and this was the gentleman who had crossed the aisle in the cafeteria to come by and pick up my empty chicken sandwich wrapper and my empty chocolate milk carton and drop it in the waste bin on his way out of the room. I was floored. When he picked up our garbage, I had no idea who he was. He had no idea that the four of us were his 1 p.m. appointment. This was just how he lived life. He greeted us in his office, and he said, hey, I'm Dan. I'm in customer service. And he shook our hands, the CEO of this company. And so when we asked him that question about in the cafeteria, he didn't even have a recollection of it. But he said it would never occur to him to actually walk by a table when there was garbage there on the table and walk past the garbage can on the way out the room when he had to go in that direction anyway. So this was something that was just wired and oozed out of him, this, this posture of humility. It was amazing. I'd encourage you, he has a a YouTube channel, just Dan Cathy, it's linked to Chick-fil-A, they've got a video called Every Life Has a Story that they show to their new employees to help them understand this concept of second mile service. It's about a three minute video, it's worth a watch this afternoon, Every Life Has a Story. So I would humbly suggest, if Dan Cathy has time to pick up my trash in the middle of a workday which is responsible for 2300 restaurants, he knows a secret. And you and I are not too busy to serve. The third story this morning, the other one, it hits a little closer to home, Uh, a reminder that there is a secret that some people can push past busyness to serve well. You may remember there was a windy day last April, Wednesday, April 4, 2018 to be exact. And I got home from work, and according to the timestamp on my phone, at 6.10 PM, I took this picture from our backyard It was a sad picture for us. The wind had uprooted a tree that we had uh, planted about 15 15 years earlier, soon after we moved. There wasn't a ton of damage, but it had kind of fallen on the deck, and I knew it was going to be a total pain to deal with without a chainsaw. Now, if you know my dear wife, you will not be shocked to know that this story got up on Facebook soon after that moment (laughs) happened. And at 7.10, I got a call on my phone. Leaving a voicemail was Howard Russell. And I know the exact time, because I still have that voicemail on my phone. And Michelle had seen the story on Facebook, and Howard was calling, offering to help and bring his chainsaw along. Just let him know a time that would work for him to come over, and he'd be there. So I was floored. At the time of that week, my mom, who uh, wonderfully recovered, is here with us this morning, actually. pretty sure it's nothing to do with me but to celebrate with her, do- with her granddaughter. My mom was in the hospital. We had a wedding that Saturday, and I was preaching here at Forestbrook that Sunday. So I knew there was not any time in this week to be able to get rid of this tree and to deal with it. I was really tired. I was planning to touch base with Howard on a Sunday afternoon to figure out a time that he could come over. But, while Leanne and I were at the wedding on Saturday, I got the following text from Deborah, which I also still have on my phone. Thanks for telling me that Jamie was coming over to chop down the tree. And I replied back, I had no idea, is he still there? So the poor kid just about has a heart attack, as Jamie Holbrook, wearing some type of eye protection that to her probably looked like the white goalie mask, starts the chainsaw up right below her window, and she hears other voices in the backyard, because Jamie and Lincoln and James and Christian had come on over, unannounced they'd heard about that, and you got to realize, we have a dog, and the winter thaw had just happened. We had not gone out yet and dealt with anything <laughs> in the backyard. So not only are they there dealing with this tree, it is a land, there's barely any grass to walk on. They found their way through those landmines, and by the time we got home, everything that showed any indication that tree had been there was gone. Even the firewood that we'd heard from neighbors had been all put up at our curb and organized, had been taken away from people. Our neighbors were floored. These guys threw their shoes out and went home, (laughs) and went about their day. And I tell you, the the conversations that we got to have with our neighbors, who were trying to figure this out, they wanted to know, because there was debris down all over the place, they wanted to know what company we'd, we'd hired to come over and do this. If I was not a follower of Jesus, and I heard this story, I'd be all in. That was service. And if Jamie and James and their boys, if you know a little bit about their lives, it's full lives. If they have time to come and clean up a tree in my backyard in the midst of their work and their family commitments, they know a secret. They know a secret. And you and I are not too busy to serve well. So friends, why is it? Why is it that Dan and Kathy and Jamie and James and Lincoln and Christian chose to serve me in the midst of their busyness Well, my much loved Uxbridge friends chose to fly by these 12 or these three vehicles in need 12 times. It's the modern day mystery of the Good Samaritan story. I believe the secret answer to that puzzle is found in the foot washing story of John 13. So let's turn to that together. Uh, Find it in your Bibles. It's going to be up here as well in the New Living Translation. And I I do just want to say, I'm going to bring a chair over here for a second. The, The context of this story, it's important for us to know. That the chapter before, in John chapter 12, which happened four days before John 13, was the story of Mary anointing Jesus with oil, washing his feet with her tears, and wiping his, hair, his feet with her hair. So this story is the bookend to that story where Jesus had been sitting and allowed this woman... This sinful woman, as we know her to be from Scripture, that's how she was described, as coming and washing his own feet with her tears and hair. Let's jump in. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So there's lots here, friends, about establishing time. It is supper time, always important. It's Thursday, four days after Mary washed his feet. It was time for Judas to execute the most evil betrayal in human history. It was time for Jesus to leave this world and return to his Father. It was time for him to be killed the very next day. Now, he knew those timing events because the Father had revealed it to him through his Spirit. We need to pause about this. The Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. But his Spirit was how he connected to the Father while he was on earth. We know from Philippians 2, Paul writes about it. It says, though he was God, he gave up his divine privilege like being all-knowing. He gave that up when he was born at Bethlehem. So when we look at his life in this chapter, at that moment when it said he was aware of the hour and the time and what Judas was about to do, we know that those moments of super knowledge, like this, came because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. It's crucial for us to understand that. Human Jesus did not have special spiritual powers. Human Jesus had the same powers that you and I have. But he was perfectly in tune with his Father through the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that guides you and I today. So that's how he was there in that moment, knowing what time it was. So often in this series, we've seen how Jesus has turned to his Father to determine next steps. But that's where he also got his sense of identity. And in this moment, 24 hours away from death, he was reminded by the Spirit that he had come from God and would return to God. He knew who he was. He knew who he belonged to. And that identity, reminded by the Spirit in that moment, would give him the strength, the desire, the willingness to serve his disciples to the very end. The original language implies that he would never stop loving them. So whatever was about to go down in that room over that next hour was going to be deathbed testimony of love in action. Knowing that he only had a few hours left to live and with the disciples, this is what he chose to do. He chose to model extravagant love and service. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Right, so we can picture the chair here, the disciples are here, Jesus kneeling down. We don't often kneel down to people anymore. Right, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very rarely in our world do we have occasion to get down, kneeling down before others, this picture of humility. So here, Jesus is the heir of all things. Authority over all. Think of the power structures at work in our world today. Think of the politics. Because of these things, we expect him, after the first verses, we hear that everything's under his authority, he's from God, he belongs to God, we expect that he would get up from the table, take off his garments, call for a majestic robe, and have people bow down to him. That would have been proper and justified. But far from it. He does the opposite. He lives out again this picture from Philippians 2. Even though he'd come from God, he gave up his divine privileges And took the form of a servant. His posture that night told us that he believed nothing was beneath him. So we may see from time to time today people serving in order to get ahead. Sucking up to their superiors. Jesus does the opposite. In the middle of the meal, when the Spirit reminded him that he belonged to the Father, it did not move Jesus to a place of pride or arrogance. It moved him to a place of humility belonging to the Father, moved him to a place of humility. These were growing, able-bodied men. We know from the story that water, a basin, and a towel was available in the room. We know from the Old Testament that washing feet was a a job for servants alone. Why did Jesus wash their feet? So he could perfectly teach the secret. Display a beautiful picture of humility and service. So when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. You know, his resistance is normal, right? Picture where Peter for a second, you're sitting in this chair, why should i allow my savior the master and lord of this world to wash the feet of someone as sinful as me it should be the other way around right and jesus responds to him and says you can't understand now why because the spirit had not yet come the spirit would come at pentecost peter would be there he would then understand what was about to happen For you and I, we can understand it looking back, because his spirit indwells us and has explained it to us. But in that moment, Jesus said to him, you've got to trust me. You have to trust that this is the way it needs to go down, even though you can't imagine it. It is exactly what happened with John the Baptist out in the desert. Jesus goes to John and goes, baptize me. And John goes, are you nuts? This needs to be reversed. You should be the one baptizing me, not the other way around. And Jesus He didn't understand it yet. The Spirit had not yet come upon John in that way, like he does with you and I after Pentecost. So it's the same dynamic that's at play here. We need to cut Peter some slack. Peter was actually, in the only way he knew how, was was respecting and and being humble in that moment, saying, never, never, ever. But when Jesus points out, if you don't let me do this, our relationship is going to be separated. And Peter has the quickest turnaround that you will ever see. He goes from literally in one sentence saying, you will never ever wash my feet, to the very next sentence going, wash all of me. (laughs) Do it right away. There's something that he got a glimpse, this upside down, bizarro world where leader becomes the servant. He didn't grasp it, but he trusted when Jesus said, it's got to be this way amongst my followers. We must serve. We must serve. Let's finish this passage off. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That was what he meant when he said not all of you are clean. There's a lot in these verses about the ongoing relationship with Christ and how to be kept clean. But for the sake of our focus this morning on service, what's most fascinating in these verses to me is Judas. Amazingly, Jesus included Judas. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Yet the disciples, later in the chapter, have no idea which one of them was about to betray Jesus. Can you imagine that? Jesus' love and service for Judas was so unchanged, so unhindered by his awareness that Judas was about to betray him to death, and and to the type of emotional and spiritual anguish that no one has ever known. Despite knowing that that very night, Judas was to betray him, the disciples didn't pick up any tell, any clue that Judas was the one. Jesus washed his feet, served Judas and loved him exactly the same as he did to all the others. That speaks to us of this secret, this attitude, the posture that Jesus brought to his service. So it finishes up after washing their feet. He gets up, he puts the robe on again, he sat down and said to them, do you understand what I was doing? They wouldn't fully understand till Pentecost, but he's at least teaching and explaining. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these, God will bless you for doing them. It's another picture of this upside-down kingdom. Those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank. The leader should be the servant. I'm among you as one who serves. He, He lives out a parable for them. And the disciples, like everyone else, who thought that happiness comes with being... Exalted with being lifted up and praised and and rising up and ruling, he says, It's no, it's about stooping and serving. You will be blessed, verse 17, by doing this, meaning by serving others. Well, so what? What does this mean for us today? What secrets does this foot washing passage reveal to us in terms of modeling our busy lives after Jesus? What does the Spirit, in the midst of our busyness, want to teach us today about service? Well, Jacob Lozano, at our uh, Jamaica Update on Thanksgiving Sunday, he shared that as he was listening for his treasure, that was the the word they had for kind of listening for what God had for them that day. You said it it was foot washing, right? That's what came to mind, that image for you. But the supplies never arrived, you shared with us that morning. And Gary, who was beside you, I wrote down when Gary said it, he said foot washing was about surrender and humility. You know, so I think it is a valid question. Since we now have paved roads and many of us shower most days, what is the 2019 equivalent of foot washing? What does it look like in today's age? I asked a lot of people that this week. I told them it's got to be something relevant, but it needs to be something that has an element of making us uncomfortable. I heard some great ideas. From changing diapers that aren't a part of your job, to picking up after someone else's dog, you'll note a theme here, to scrubbing toilets, to taking out someone's garbage, putting your phone away to listen to someone when they're talking to you, letting someone merge in front of you in traffic, helping a single mom in the grocery store out with her groceries, doubling a recipe to be able to give to a grieving family. All great examples, great examples of everyday opportunities. But to step into any one of those service opportunities or many others we need to remember the secrets that came to light as Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Or quite frankly, you and I are gonna be too busy. Secret number one is the humble attitude. The disciples kept tripping over themselves through the Gospels, trying to figure out which of them was the greatest. That's the way of our world, friends, but Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Note, at times, this humility may actually demonstrate By allowing ourselves to be served by one another. Because there's times where my pride, like Jesus did actually with Mary, that's why I went to that Mary one, like the night before, Jesus allowed himself to be served by her. Sometimes my pride prevents me from serving you. Sometimes my pride prevents me from allowing you to serve me. It's two sides of the same coin. Both is the same ugly sin. And both are cured by a posture of humility. We are called to serve because, quite frankly, serving is spiritual medicine against the disease of pride. Serving is our medicine that cures the disease of pride. It cultivates a posture of humility so that the spirit can remind us of our standing with God and it moves us not to arrogance or pride that we belong to the Father. But like Jesus in that room, it moves us to humility, that there is nothing that is beneath us. Serving those closest to us, or those who somehow in the world's eyes are quote, under us, or those who have hurt us, it is the toughest of all, yet the best medicine to deal with the disease of pride. That was the first secret, that humble attitude. The second one is a secure identity. We belong to God. Jesus needed to be reminded of it in that moment, that he belonged to the Father. Because we belong to God, you and I are qualified to serve. Because we belong to God, you and I can have the security to serve, secure in who we are as a child of the Father. Because we belong to God, you and I can risk whatever worldly consequences come our way. Loss of reputation, loss of time, loss of, of deemed productivity, we can risk those consequences of serving because we belong to the Father. The final thing, the other part of the secret is being in touch with the Father through the Holy Spirit. Because not only does our identity in the Father give us security to serve, but His will gives our direction to serve. If we're out of touch, we don't know the Spirit's guiding what He's asking of us. We are not called to serve everyone in every way at every moment. It would kill us. That's why there's a a body. We see what we want is God inviting us into spirit-led service, like Jesus in Mark 1, where he leaves a town of needy people. There was much service to be done, yet the Father, through the Spirit, said it's time to move on, and he goes on to the other town. You know, you and I, we've had those moments where we experience the exhilaration of sensing God's Spirit nudging us to a specific act of service and when we do it we get immediate affirmation from someone going that was exactly what I needed you had no idea let me tell you about what happened today those are the moments we're seeking we can enjoy those they're so cool but it is at the nudging of the spirit we must be in tune with God to be able to follow and serve as he's asking us to serve And so this morning as we wrap up as the worship team comes back up invite you to take two or three minutes to listen along with me, to this question. Let's ask the Lord to reveal if there's anything that you and I need to surrender to him in order to be able to serve well. From this passage this morning, I'd suggest some of them could be, do I need to surrender my busyness, my pride, my insecurities, the fact that I may in this season be out of touch with God and his spirit? Maybe there's something else there that he'll bring to attention for you that's a final bullet but let's listen in, invite him to shape for us. What do we need to surrender to serve well like Jesus served?